Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Jason, did you know that Budget Blinds is the place for people to go to for the signature series shades? All hail our robot shade overlords. Look, there are many, many reasons why you should start looking at these smart home features, but mostly because it's cool. I got to say, look, I recently got a somewhat smart home thing in my house, and I was highly skeptical, like, in the process and have delayed and kind of acted like the technology-phobic old man that I'm probably getting closer to being every day. (laughs) But I got to say, this smart home stuff is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And I got to say, the ability to raise and lower, open and close, program your shades to do that stuff, to save energy, to increase the security in your home, to do all the things you want to do. Make things safer for your children and pets. Right. Absolutely fantastic as, as an idea. I get it. I get it now in a way that I didn't get it before. So I'm going to say this with all sincerity. All hail those robot shade overlords. There you go. So if you are ready to make your home a smart home, head on over to our good friends, Budget Blinds of Lee Summit, right in downtown, the heart of our community. Today's episode is also brought to you by Feed Lee Summit. Hey, Jason, pre-COVID world, 6 to 8% of Lee Summit residents were food insecure. I thought, I thought that world started like at Mar- on March 15th. Well, you know. No, the world ended on March 15th, and we're now picking up the pieces. Right, 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 right. Well, that's 6 to 8%. That equates to more than 6,000 men, women, and children in the Lee Summit community. And in this COVID pandemic area, the food needs have only continued to grow for Lee Summit families and senior citizens. That is true. Responding to this need are the good folks at Sunrise Rotary. They are sponsoring their second annual Feed Lee Summit event, November 12th at 7 p.m. It's going to be a virtual event this year because COVID ruins everything, but it's going to be a great event anyway. They have a goal this year. It's a very aggressive goal of raising $100,000 to support those with food insecurity here in Lee Summit. And they think they can do this aggressive goal with your support. And who will this, who will this benefit, you might ask? Let me tell you. It's going to the benefit. Big four. The, the big, big four. four. Lee Summit Social Services, Cold Water of Lee Summit, One Good Meal, and Meals on Wheels. You got it. Feed Summit. Feed Lee Summit started as empty bowls, which collected uh, more than a quarter million dollars over its uh, years for our non-profit food providers here in the Lee Summit community. Last year, Feed Lee Summit, a little bit of a change in how it was structured and what it was doing. Their first event raised $40,000. So they're setting the bar high this year, but we think we can get there. And they can meet that goal with your help. So join us for this important event on Thursday, November 12th. See feedls.org for more details and to register. Hello and welcome to the Lee Summit Town Hall episode in this Friday Conversation Edition. Jason, I'm here again. You're back again. I am. I keep popping in on your Friday conversation. My Fridays are supposed to be for me. But they haven't been. It's another another thing COVID ruined. That means you're here a lot. Hey, and guess who else is back? Terry Gray is back with us. The rising star of the appearance on Town Hall Podcast. She is continuing her quest to take down Matt Sanning as the leading (laughs) guest. Uh, And with her is, uh, I believe this is her third appearance, Kirstie Millar. Kirstie, Carrie, welcome back to the podcast. Mm -hmm. This is 
Suicide Prevention Month, and we thought uh, we would bring back our community therapist, Carrie Gray. That's what we're calling you now. That's your new title. Oh, you are you are the like summit it. community therapist, or at least you know you're mine. Um, and Kirsty Millar, who is I'm gonna get your title wrong, so correct me. Uh, suicide Prevention Manager, Program Coordinator, Program Coordinator um, at, at Rediscover, and and also through Lead Summit Cares. Is that right? Or do you have Rediscover through Rediscover? I, we have had had you on before as well, Kirsty. Like I, like I mentioned, uh, I think the first time was was about three years ago, mm-hmm. after some suicides in our in our school community, mm-hmm. um, and then you you came back on a, a couple of years ago. But we thought it would be a good time, as, as mental health and suicide prevention continues to be a, a big topic um, mm-hmm. in the area, and especially as we talk about reopening schools and whether or not we should have uh, the school buildings open again. And I'm not sure how far we're going to get into that. I'm going to stumble through all of this because I know nothing, um, but you guys know everything. And that's why we have you on. <laughs> well, by everything, he means in comparison to what we know. So, you know, we set the no bar pressure. low and you guys leap right over it. So it's actually- Literally no pressure. It's fine. Right. It's it's that the old saying about you know in the kingdom of blind men or the in the world of the blind men the one eyed man is king. This is a it's a podcast run by blind guys and you have vision. So congratulations, you are experts. You are there. Compliment. I I really I'm not even sure where to start because I think um, you know when we talk about suicide it's such a big, heavy topic. Oh, let's just jump to it. And then so let's jump in. What. What should we be talking about? I mean, where should, when we talk about mental health, when we talk about suicide prevention, where do you start? Uh, I kind of love how Jason just said, let's just jump in. Because that's what you do. You just jump in. It's, it's such a scary topic because we've created it to be a scary topic. I'm going to preface that with, of course, it's someone's life. So it's a delicate topic, but it doesn't have to be scary. It's something that we need to be talking about. We should be talking about. My biggest promotion is, I just want you talking, but talking saves lives. And the more that we talk about, hey, you don't seem okay, right? Let's talk about that. What does that look like for you? Have you called help? Have you gotten help? That's the definition of a good friend, not a friend who's like, hmm, eh, I don't see you. I don't see your problems. I'm not going to ask you how you're doing because I don't want to take on your stuff. Asking someone how they're doing isn't taking on their stuff, but it's diving in enough to say, hey, I'm noticing you're not good, so let's talk about it. So that's a long-winded answer to you truly just dive in. Okay, so let's let's talk about it. We, Nick and I have made the joke like uh, 15 times since the beginning of this terrible, terrible pandemic that it's just made, essentially we say COVID ruins everything, but basically we mean it makes everything worse. So mm-hmm. is it making suicide worse? I mean, like the, the rates and all that, not the, any individual attempt. Yes and no. <clears throat> numbers are always um, lagged. So, so I don't know that I have like a lot of numbers to support. Yes, it's making things worse. Um, there are some numbers out there that opiate overdoses are higher, that reported suicidal ideations and behaviors are higher. The number 30% has been thrown around for both of those. Um, keeping in mind too, though, that I always like to preface stats when it comes to really anything mental health related. This is a field where the stats that we get are self-reported, honestly. They're, they're coming from people. So, so we want to give some grace in that. 
in my experience, initially, I think we all kind of felt like summer camp to some degree, like, wow, this is like a long extended vacation. I can do housework in the middle of the day and still get my work done. Right. Like I have this like fun, cool balance of like life and work from home. Like, this is so great. And then like May hit. And I think we all had this thought, okay, this is like, there's, there's an end to this. Like May is going to happen. I know I had that conversation with my staff, like, oh, by May, we're going to all be back together. You know, this is going to be short lived. And then May passed <laughs> and then June passed and then August passed. And so I don't know that I can say it's making it worse, but I think that still being isolated, kids not being around their socializations, like we were talking about earlier today, mm-hmm. not having those social supports, but also people. And I, I think through, you know, I'm, I choose to think that I am in this mental health profession. So I practice what I preach and I'm a, a pretty well coped adult and I'm struggling through this and I'm seeking supports and I'm leaning on things more than I would in any typical year. So if I, who identifies as a decently coped individual, I'm struggling, how are our kids doing? How are our friends doing? How are our, our friends who maybe don't have the resources that I have truly doing right now? Because I'm craving that socialization. I'm, and I know, you know, the most introverted person at this point has vocalized, I just miss people. Mm-hmm. We are not designed to not be around people. Right. So that's a really long-winded answer to, I don't know. I don't have scientific support, but I'm going to venture towards yes, because when we're stuck in isolation, we lean on unhealthy coping skills. We start to perpetuate those thoughts. We, the world doesn't seem to be getting better. We're facing yet another couple stressful months as a nation with an election. Um, no matter, you know, which way you look at that, it's going to be a stressful time. And in the middle of a global pandemic, now we've got the weight of the world on our shoulders while trying to make these grave decisions for our families. Do we go back to work? Do we get tested? You have a scratch in your throat and you're paranoid that you're coming down with the Rona. Every we've all been day. there. Every day. Every we've day. all been there. It's when I go around and find candles and randomly sniff them in my house to make sure I haven't lost my sense of smell because I'm in that population. You should just that will be te- the tall tale sign. Look, seriously, live with teenagers and you'll never have to do that again because they will provide smells for you. <laughs> my husband has caught me a few times like what are you doing and i'm like i just need to make sure i haven't lost my sense of smell i had a little scratch i'm gonna, I'm so, gonna jump in i'm gonna jump in there and say uh, first first off i love that you said earlier i don't know because i think that's to me that's like the for me that's the biggest cause of stress is i don't have an answer for anything right now um but so when we're when we're when we're looking around at our friends and, and our family and we finally do get to see them, those rare times, right? Which, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we're reopened, but we're not really reopened. We're mm-hmm. still spending most of our lives in our house with whatever our core family is, right? Right. How do we know when someone in our family or a friend or a neighbor, how do we know when they're struggling and know that it's time for us to say something? Carrie, why don't you take this one since you've been... You, 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 had a, you haven't had a chance to jump in yet. Well, sure. You know, obviously it's more challenging, um, you know, when people are not meeting regularly in a face-to-face context, because we can pick up on so, more, so much more by watching and uh, different behaviors, you know, listening to how people are talking, getting a sense of where they are emotionally. And so I think it's really critical to think about those people in your lives who may or may not be struggling 
and intentionally reach out to those people and just say, hey, how's it going? You know, I liked what Kirsty said because she acknowledged that even herself who has great coping skills and things is struggling. I don't think there's anyone out there who hasn't been negatively impacted by COVID in some way. And the duration and the uncertainty certainly adds on to the stress of that situation. And so one of the things we could do is intentionally ask. I know that groups of people have created what is referred to as a friend bubble, you know, so people who they feel safe and, and getting together with and just being aware of changes in behavior. You know, a friend that normally is all in and wanting to gather for situations, you know, socially that's now, no, I can't, or, you know, I don't want to. Um, just listening for cues and how people talk, you know, feelings of being overwhelmed, feelings of being helpless. You know, parents are struggling tremendously with, uh, you know, adjusting to online schooling, as we know, as Nick sits there with his son across from him and, and being able to manage, you know, working full time if, if you need to, as well as managing the issues with the kids. And that's just a tremendous amount of stress. And so it can easily push someone who perhaps hasn't had a mental health issue of, of any kind in the past it could trigger problems, all right? And in our youth, we find that, you know, by the time they're 14, 15 years of age, that that's when a lot of mental health disorders start to emerge. And we know genetics is part of that, but we also know the environmental factors have an influence as well. And so just being I like the other thing that Christy did with the blinders. You know, we want to keep our eyes open and 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 be aware and notice changes and say, you know, hey, I noticed that, you know, whatever that behavior is, and have that discussion. Even if you're not seeing specific problems and your and your child or your friend seems to be doing okay, because a lot of times we present differently. You know, our personal Facebook self is much different than what's really happening under the surface. But I think it's helpful sometimes just to share personally that, hey, you know, I'm struggling. You know, I have a hard time concentrating and staying focused. I know on previous podcasts, we talked about how, you know, we're good for about four of the five days of the work week, right? That is an optimistic estimate. But <laughs> Motivation is <laughs> I'm good for two, maybe three. Yeah. So listen and ask. If you see something, say something. Have those conversations. Mental health is just as critical as our physical health, and you really can't separate the two. I'm gonna. I'm not sure actually which way I want to go because um, when we were when we were talking before, Kirsty, you had you had mentioned to me an important conversation was to talk about difference between risk factors and warning signs two different things. Ooh, good. And so I'm not sure, again, I don't know what we should talk about first. Like, does one lead into the other? I think it's important. I want to touch, touch on something that Carrie said, because I think it's critical what she said. And I, I thank you for that, Carrie. 
we teach a lot of warning signs and, and I also love the term, there's a training that I'm trained in that utilizes the term invitation instead of warning sign. And I love that so much because that's exactly what a warning sign is, right? Society as a whole, when you think of warning, you think of like a red stop sign and it almost like, you like halt, you know, once mm -hmm. I'm also available for sound effects on the side, if you need them for the podcast. Sweet. Hired. <laughs> But an invitation is, is, an, is an inviting thing. It's a positive thing. It's helping kind of start that conversation. So I like that perspective shift, but I think it's important that we teach a lot of, um, and, and Carrie said it because it's what we teach, when you notice a difference in their behavior. But I think right now, what a lot of people are struggling with is I'm not seeing my people. So how do I know if they're different? How do I know if their text message isn't is in a weird tone or not? Or their Facebook, you know, your Facebook status said you were great. You just baked cookies with your family. Like, Right, right, there's like, no context in, in, in no. text on and a screen. So, exactly. And so I think it goes back to what Carrie was saying is we can talk about risk factors and warning signs, and I think we should, but I think at the end of the day, what it boils down to is we just need to be talking and we need to be encouraging exactly what she said. We need to be checking in on our people. I know I've tried to be more authentic on my personal Facebook page and just that, you know what, here I am in my profession preaching left and right to talk, and then I'm posting these adorable pictures of my daughter, but I'm also not posting the days where I'm struggling because I'm perpetuating society's stigma. So the other day I got super vulnerable, freaking terrified to do it, but posted about how for the first time in a month, I utilized some self-care and went for a run. And because August just kicked, swift kicked me in the bum. And to put that out there, I had so many friends reach out like, first, A, I didn't know you were struggling, but also B, like, thanks for sharing that because now I feel like I can too. And this is not me saying I think everybody should go share all their trauma on Facebook, but I think it's important that we we have a balance of realism. And that's a lot of what our youth struggle with is not to take a dig at celebrities, but if you look at a social media reel, nothing about it is real. There's nothing about it that's real. And now we have this whole dilemma with TikTok and there's all these things. And so they're surrounded, but also adults, people my age and older as well are seeking solace in social media are seeking solace in their phones and are isolated more than ever and you can't tell someone's behavior change through a text message or a facetime mm -hmm. it boils down to you you have to talk to them and we again we can teach you those warning signs and those risk factors i do think they go hand in hand but i think the first invitation to any conversation is starting one right hey how are you so, i've noticed we haven't checked in lately right is it is it I mean, you mentioned the sort of the way you, I guess, inadvertently started conversations, right, was to, to express your own vulnerability. And I, don't, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to go and put all of their trauma on Facebook all the time, or at least that doesn't already do that. Uh, but yeah. is yeah, that, I, I think, is that a way um, to, especially I think with young people, is that a really good way to sort of maybe invite yourself into them? I mean, so even if you're seeing, the, if you're having the concerns about someone, but by opening yourself up a little bit in that way, is that a good way to sort of start that conversation? I think so. Carrie, I don't know if you think differently, but I know when someone approaches me and is like, hey, I've really been struggling lately. How are you? If I've been struggling, I'm more apt to be like, Whew, girl, me too. Like, wow, this has just been rough. So mm -hmm. it's almost like a, a validation before you're having that conversation. And it kind of gives you that invitation, if you will, mm -hmm. to say like, yeah, you know what? I have noticed you've been off. Like, I thought I'd share my story because I've noticed this in you too. So how have you been dealing with that? What have you been doing? Have you had scary thoughts lately? Have they traveled into, yeah, my life might be better if I'm not here. 
you know, and, and having that conversation. I think a lot of times when people hear us talk about, we need to be talking about suicide, we need to be talking about mental health, people often assume I'm expecting you to like dial up a friend, like, hey, Jason, you thinking about suicide today? Like, how are you? That's not how I want you to approach that conversation, but I think that's Nick, what scares us. Nick, we need to stop having phone calls if you're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Please talk in the valley, girl. Yeah. Well, <laughs> here's my question that, because and I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I feel, like, I feel like this is probably common. The, hey, are you doing okay, seems the easy part. Uh-huh. What's the uh-huh. second question? How do you then dig in? Because it's really scary to think about what the answer could be if the next question is, are you thinking about suicide, right? So what's the, I mean, how do you really dig in at that point to, to get past that first question? Because I think we can all, we can all say, hey, are you doing okay? But still kind of be staying back a little bit. And I'm just asking, I mean, it's also, you know, it's almost like you go meet somebody at a, at a, for dinner in normal times. And hey, how you been, right? And it's just, I mean, that's, it's an easy reflexive question. Mm-hmm. And I think we all very easily ask our friends, hey, how are you? How have you been feeling? But how do you get to that next question and the next question and really get past that fear of what the answer could be? A thought that I have, and I know Christy's getting ready to talk as well. A next question that I would have, and how are you coping with all this COVID stuff? You know, what are you doing to get through each day? And oftentimes by just asking that question, people tend to open up and say, I'm not really doing so well. Mm -hmm. Or here are some things that I'm doing that are helping me, you know, in terms of my own self-care to get through each day. So that would be my second question. What would be your third question, Kirsty? So if I am struggling... Well, if somebody says, you know, I'm just feeling really overwhelmed, you know, I feel like, you know, as a parent, I don't have what it takes to help my child. I can't get work done. Um, I just, you know, I don't see no end in sight. This is just a hopeless situation. Then what would you respond? I think that's a tricky question because... Me as an individual who's very comfortable with this conversation would directly say, it sounds like you've had a lot on your plate and I feel the need to ask you, have you had thoughts about taking your life? But I'm very comfortable with that conversation and whether their answer is yes or no, I feel yeah, like they're- I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Kirsty is more comfortable with that conversation than Nick or I, so let's- <laughs> <Sure. laughs> Which is why I might I ask my, you, but I'm going to go high first. <laughs> which is why I say it's a difficult answer because I think some mental health professionals- like me might directly go there. And, and also what's tricky about these kinds of conversations is there really isn't a stock answer, right? These are so variant on relationships because I very well may not say that to my husband, because quite honestly, I might freak out a little bit more if he says yes to that than to someone I'm a little bit of a different relationship with. Mm -hmm. I like, I like the conversation relating it to COVID. I might ask, how are you taking care of yourself? What resources have you looked into? Maybe offering to help you look for resources Mm -hmm. because it clearly sounds like, you know, you've owned, you're overwhelmed. Um, If there's something I feel like I can help support. Um, But I think my next question would be, how are you taking care of yourself and how are you prioritizing yourself? And then kind of following that with, have you looked into some mental health resources and making that a priority of the conversation as well? 
them because I think that's a scary world to navigate. It's not easy to just walk into a doctor's office right now and say, I need a therapist and be handed an appointment. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. You have to navigate insurance and understand where you live. And there's all these different things and almost everything's virtual right now. So I think I might go that route of, you know, how are you taking care of yourself um, and checking in on those resources. And then depending on the response to that, dive into the, the deeper, harder conversation. I want to ask about something you, you just said in that, in that Kirstie, and it, it reminded me, um, well, you, you said, you said it would be different for your husband because of the relationship that you have. And it reminded me, Carrie, of something you and I have heard from, from some of the teens we've talked about youth mental health in, in the past. And, and I, I don't think this is, this is just set for teens. I think this is for everybody, but one of the things we've heard is, is what do I do if I don't feel I'm qualified or I can handle the answer that they give? Like, I don't know how to respond to what you just said. I don't feel like I can help you. The thought of trying to help you freaks me out. Mm -hmm. um, how, what are some things that you can do? I mean, because I think, look, that's a loaded, heavy, these are loaded, heavy mm -hmm. questions you're asking people that you know and varying levels of relationship, right? So, I mean, what do you do when you get the answer like, oh, crap, I wasn't prepared for this, or I'm not prepared for it? I have a couple of thoughts, but I don't want to overtalk Carrie if she has <laughs> No, she gets credit for being I, on the show today, regardless of how much she says, so go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I think fill in with additional thoughts if you don't cover what I'm thinking. How's that sound? Perfect. I think it can go a couple of different ways. I do a lot of education on suicide prevention. I do a lot of education on exactly this, asking the question. And in that education is a big component of, you don't have to be the one to ask the question. And I wanna reiterate that because here we are teaching, check on your people. But for exactly what you've just said, Nick, if you are going to react and make the moment about you, I need you to find someone else who can ask that question. It may look like you calling a crisis line as a parent and saying, mm -hmm. I'm worried about my kid. Can you help me with this conversation? Guess what they're going to? That's their job. It may look like you reaching out to a, a different provider, calling Rediscover, calling a private provider, calling the school for help from the school counselor. There are resources to help you have that conversation. So that's my first thought. My second thought is owning exactly what you said. I have to ask you something, but quite honestly, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to help you if you answer a certain way, but I will make sure you have resources that do. And let me tell you why I say that. You're modeling for that. I'm speaking in terms of youth, but really it's for anybody. You're modeling for that kid. I'm being vulnerable in this moment. I see something is different about you. I'm not sure the heck how to handle it. So I'm gonna own the, I don't know, but I'm not gonna end there. I'm gonna follow that up with, but hey, I'm gonna be right by your side and we're gonna figure this out. It's okay to not know. As a professional, you've already heard me say it. I don't know. I would rather you own that and follow that with, but let's figure it out together. Let's call the crisis line together. Let's drive to rediscover or, you know, a, a, this private provider that I'm aware of together because I want to learn with you. I want to help you on this journey. That's a really scary thing to do as a parent. I'm aware, but it's so powerful. Those are my thoughts. 
I'm not sure I have follow up to that one. <laughs> well, here I'll yeah. I'll just I'll blindly go non sequitur. How's that? No, it's, uh, so I, I think this. Uh, so we we've we've now talked about sort of how to have the conversation. So let's talk about. I mean, because I don't think any of us have the energy to just go ask everybody uh, that we know um, right. these these sorts of questions, or even the first question, right? Just like check in, check in, check in, check in. That's got to be exhausting. Mm-hmm. How do we, what, what are we starting to look for? What should we be looking for when we think about asking those questions of someone? Well, okay. So earlier you alluded to uh, the difference between risk factors and warning signs. Yes. And it might be helpful to come back to that in terms of what we're looking for. Um, because oftentimes people confuse the two and they are very different. I, honestly, I have no idea of the difference between them. So right. I'm okay. going to learn right alongside of you, uh, right alongside of what you're telling. Me. So <laughs> let's go for it. All right. So essentially a risk factor are basically characteristics that make it more likely that an individual will consider attempt or die by suicide. All right. Those are our risk factors. Warning signs indicate the immediate risk for suicide. And those are linked more to an individual person and things that they're saying or doing right now. So if you look at a heart attack as an example, we know that risk factors for a heart attack would be uh, obesity, tobacco use, you know, high cholesterol, but that doesn't mean that the person is having a heart attack because they are overweight and have, you know, high cholesterol. Do you feel called out right now, Nick? I just want to know. Yeah. I think you and I kind of do. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why we invite her on. I don't know, she calls I don't know why she, she comes in and she looks at us and she starts thinking about heart attacks. I think that's a sign. I just felt like this would be a good example. There is no intent whatsoever. Oh my goodness. They're taking it personally. I don't know what to do with uh, that. Well, I'm just waiting for one of them to like eat a Taco Bell taco like while you're talking about Heart attacks, juice squirting out on their shirt. I was. How did she know I had tacos? I mean, they weren't Taco Bell, but I did have tacos. Taco Tuesday. Well, now hold on, because the warning signs are critical. Because if someone's actually having a heart attack, they might be complaining of, you know, pressure on their chest. They're having a difficult time breathing. um, You know, uh, nausea. Those are warning signs. So if you look at uh, risk factors, uh, that would be things like a prior suicide attempt, a person uh, who is involved in substance abuse. We know that mood disorders are a risk factor for suicide, in particular depression. And it's sad how many people who we learn die of suicide when they go back and do a social or forensic evaluation of that, a lot of people were not seeking treatment for their mental health, which is incredibly sad because things like depression and anxiety disorders are highly treatable. Um, We also know that access to the lethal means is another risk factor for suicide. making sure that uh, we uh, talk gun safety, you know, gun locks, things like that. And then we know there's specific marginalized groups that also would have uh, an increased risk like the LGBTQ 
community would be an example of that. And so just because a person has risk factors though, doesn't mean that they will at some point die by suicide. It's just common characteristics that we're seeing in people who have died by suicide. Okay, Carrie, let me, I'm going to jump in here and, and kind of tie it back to the pandemic, which has made everything awful. Um, so how has the pandemic, the COVID, the, all the things that have sort of precipitated from that affected this risk factors in this regard? Kirsty, maybe you can tack on, hop in on this part. What I've seen the most, I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but I've had this thought the whole time Carrie's been talking, is that people struggle to differentiate. I'm struggling from this is I'm struggling because of COVID. Does that make sense? Like I'm, I may have been struggling before, but now it's exemplified because of right. COVID. But I think a lot of people write off like everybody's struggling right now. So I don't need to seek that help because I'm taking it away from someone who might need it. So I think it's confused mm -hmm. people because it feels like the new normal, right? Like if you talk to your friend group and someone's like, I've had a great week. Part of you is like dies a little bit inside like wait what that's like a thing still and and i'm struggling so i think i've seen that a lot like once we someone finally gets to like my program they've identified some pretty you know significant suicidal thoughts and a lot of that conversation on the youth and the adult side is well i just kind of chucked it up to it's covid like we're all in this together kind of thing i didn't realize i was that bad so i think it's clouded our judgment Mm -hmm. Okay. Is it important that we, I guess, as a collective, acknowledge that um, that COVID's a part of it, that the pandemic is part of it, that oh. it makes, um, you know, and, and I ask because you see a lot of people, you know, you, you, you see there are people that say we talk about it too much. Um, you just said it kind of become the, the common theme of, well, we're all stressed because, because COVID. But is it, is it important that we, we acknowledge that, that there is this kind of overlying cloud over all of us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we have to own it. You know, um, it's, you know, what Kirstie's talking about is, you know, people often will say, well, everybody has stress, you know, stress is unavoidable and I'm just going to have to, you know, move forward and deal with it, which is true. But oftentimes when we're experiencing uh, prolonged stress, right, and throw COVID in there and anything else, um, part of how we manage that is going to impact our general mental health and our physical well-being. And so if we don't have healthy coping mechanisms there to help mitigate those negative impacts, that makes us more generally vulnerable you know, whether you're an adult or it's your child. And so teaching, we know that when we focus on protective factors in preventing suicide, we want to teach uh, those coping strategies, teach kids how to, how to uh, deal with the uncertainties. We want to connect them, as Kirsty said, uh, to professional healthcare folks within the community and uh, help them to navigate that phone call and get to that appointment. And so it's really, a, it's a reality base and really knowing yourself, engaging, you know, where am I 
mentally, emotionally at this point in time? And, uh, you know, behavior wise, what am I doing? Am I starting to isolate from other people? Am I no longer doing things that perhaps I used to enjoy? You know, my hobbies, I used to do all these things and now I'm not doing them anymore. You know, that change in behavior. Am I having trouble falling asleep at night? Or maybe I can fall asleep, but then I wake up at 3 a.m. and my mind's racing. And so there's a lot of indicators, you know, behaviorally, emotionally, even spiritually, you know, feeling a loss of meaning or purpose that, you know, you matter, that are all cues that are, we'll call it the human engine light <laughs> turned on. I like that. No, this is the second time you've used that analogy for us. Yes, we've talked about heart attacks and engine lights, and we know that if that engine light comes on, which we're going to pick up on emotional, you know, our cognitions, our relationships, our physical health, we better listen to it because otherwise the, the cost of not doing so is, uh, can be pretty traumatic. Let me ask you, ask you this. Actually, I'm going to pause here because I feel like, I feel like we haven't done this yet, and, and this was a mistake on my part we want to throw this in a few times if people want to get help is there a number they can call is there a website people can go to i want to do this more than once during this conversation and i feel like i should have done that at the beginning yeah there's a couple different numbers um there is a local crisis line that they can call 1-888-279-8188 is one that works with all of the area mental health centers um fun fact if you call the national crisis line which is one 800 273-8255 from an 816 or a 660 area code, you actually get rerouted to that local crisis line. They actually are a national lifeline service. And so they um, contract with that um, national lifeline. So regardless of which number you're calling, you're actually getting the same amount of people, all licensed providers, that's 24 seven, 365. If you live within rediscovers catchment, um, a rediscover staff is always on call. So if you need that extra support, they can get you connected to that as well. Um, there's also a texting crisis line that's national. Mm -hmm. That's 741-741. Texting any word, help, hello, hope, whatever, um, will get you connected to someone. So if you're in a position where you can't speak on the phone, um, but you'd like to speak with someone, just texting that number 24-7 will also get you with a licensed mental health professional. Um, and then I can also give you Rediscover's number. It looked like Carrie was getting numbers together too. <laughs> so is that the, are you looking for the intake number, Kirsty? Yes. 816-966-0900. Yes. And so that's a number that you could call as well to schedule an appointment. Yep. After that. hours. I'm sorry, go on. After hours, that Rediscover number is also going to roll to that local crisis line. So one way or another, those numbers are all going to get you to some professional help. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And we're going we're gonna to come back to it again later in this conversation, but I wanted to make sure that we did that multiple times. Yeah. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to, to you. Okay. Um, all of those things that you were just talking about, those things, am I feeling this? Is it, am I different? Should we, how do we acknowledge that some of that is different just because of, of COVID times? You know, the, the, I mean, because I, I, everything is different. Our routines are different. I mean, everyone, our routines are different. The way we're living our lives, going to work, doing whatever. 
are different, but how do we acknowledge, I guess, the difference between that's changed our routines and I have changed my habits and how I adjust to things because maybe there's, there's an issue. There's something I need help with. Because I think sometimes we don't know we need help or we're not ready to admit it. Well, that's, you know, you know, certainly that can be the case. And certainly a person can, can write it off in terms of COVID, you know, going back to everybody is dealing with stress. But I think it's important that once you recognize your individual signs and symptoms that things aren't going well, and for each person that's going to be a little bit different. But if we start to notice those difficulties, concentrating, disruption in sleep, you know, things like that, then it's important to really think about, okay, COVID's a big thing, but what for me in particular is the most difficult part of that? And then we can look at, all right, what options do I have? And we might not have a lot of options. We can't decide whether or not our kids are going to be in school or whether they're going to be learning virtually. And so what we can do is to, you know, get engaged in what they're doing online and know where the resources are and things like that. So we want people to focus their energy into the controllables, if you will, within a situation that there's so many things that we can't control and identify what it is for you or that individual in particular that's causing the greatest amount of stress or discomfort, if you will. What do you think, Kirsty? She's raising her hand. I love it. I, I like it. She, she, acts like, she acts like it needs to be formal. Just jump in. Hey, I have an extra resource to this answer. Okay. So there is a crisis counseling program that is a part of a statewide initiative that Rediscover is a part of called the Show Me yes. Hope. Um, and I want to give that phone number too. That phone number is 988-2739. That is a crisis line specifically for my life has been affected by COVID and I need to talk mm -hmm. to someone. It can remain anonymous. It does not mean you're going to get connected to treatment. What it means is you're going to be able to talk about exactly what you were just saying, Nick, is I don't know. If this is COVID-related stress, if this is amplified because of COVID, right? This is like a messy scrambled egg of like, I don't know where the yoke is anymore. Right. It's just all here. That's what that line is for. You're going to get a professional. They're going to help you navigate through that. Talking through that with someone else is how you know, because the reality is you may not know. Well, and I think, you know, I'm going to go back to Carrie's analogy with the, the check engine light, right? Um, <laughs> I would think though, and I have no basis for, for this, but I would think though that checking your own engine light is hard. Yes. Like, how do I know that it's turned on? I think that you need to listen to not ignore the signs and symptoms that things aren't right, that things are different. That's the key there. You know, being aware of what are your individual indicators that things are not going well. And if you look at research on stress in particular, typically it's managed or uh, people look at five different areas in terms of their relationships, their cognitions, their ability to concentrate, their emotions, easily irritated or frustrated or sad, 
Um, in addition to that physical, physical impact, such as increased vulnerabilities to illness, because we know that when we're in a prolonged state of stress, that that wears down on our body and makes us more vulnerable to a lot of medical issues, even when it's not COVID related. It's just that mind-body connection there. So what I mean by uh, you know, with the engine light is pay attention to what your body, what your spirit, what your mind is telling you. And, and talk to people about that, make some connections just to check in to make sure that things are okay. Because when we choose to ignore those warning signs, that's where we tend to get into uh, more trouble, where it's more difficult to uh, turn things around, if you will. And, you know, and the key, like, you know, we've been saying is that uh, if it's one thing is just learning different ways of managing stress and developing resiliency, but we also talked about how prolonged periods of stress like, you know, COVID, for example, can trigger an episode in somebody who's already vulnerable or maybe someone who hasn't experienced any kind of mental health issues in the past, now because of all the environmental things happening, maybe they lost their job and there's that financial insecurity, which leads to food insecurity, that now they're in a different realm that they've never been in before. And the thing that people need to know and recognize is that there is help out there and that those types of, you know, mental illness, I just, we had a gentleman, uh, neurologists talk about uh, mental illness in terms of a, it's like a brain dysfunction. You know, it's not an issue in terms of a person's personal character or abilities or strength, but sometimes things just aren't working correctly. And I can't get into all the chemical stuff right now, uh, but it's important that people are able to reach out and get help because it does make a difference. Very true. I, I think comparing it to, because I also love a good analogy um, to, and ironically, I'm gonna compare it to a virus, um, <laughs> but thinking about a cold, right? And thinking about how the average American doesn't seek help for a cold right? We write it out. It's miserable. We might call off work one day, but we kind of know what we need to get through that. But then it's not going away. And we're still sick. And we've tried the over-the-counter medicine. We've taken the day off work. We've slept. We've done all that we need to do, yet it's still hanging on. That's about the time that we might consider urgent care, scheduling with our doctor to figure out, hey, I've tried all my tools in my toolbox and I'm still not feeling well. Maybe it's time for some medication. This is not me saying mental health is going to lead to medication, but what, it, what I'm saying is you, you sought out professional help because your over-the-counter individual regulation wasn't enough. That's how I think you know with mental health is your normal regulation, your normal self-care, your normal emotional regulation isn't enough. You're, you're resentful. And one thing, Carrie hit almost all of them. The only other one I can think of is you're resentful. You're, you're no longer enjoying your job because for a lot of us, our jobs have invaded our safe spaces. Mm -hmm. I don't have separation of work and home anymore on some days. Carrie doesn't either. You guys don't, a lot of people don't. There's a lot of people that still go to work, but we no longer have that separation. So I have to work harder to put my work away because I'm 
feeling now like I could perpetually work all day, every day, because it's right at my kitchen table. I have to work harder to shut that door, mm-hmm. which in turn makes it, it's, it's not as easy as just leaving work at the office, right? Mm-hmm. I also have to manage a tiny human some days when I work. And so being able to do, and there are tons of people in our country who don't just have tiny humans, but I have to, I have to help regulate my kid's school schedule on top of my work schedule and deadlines and oh I have to feed them and you never get a break so my guess is everybody's check engine light is on or has been on but that stigma of I don't need help everybody's struggling is what clouds us so taking that step back and thinking about okay if this was a cold Mm -hmm. and it hung on this long would I still just be finding this by myself or would I have gone to the doctor and thinking of it that way Mental health and physical health often get compared because they should be there. I still don't fully understand why as a society, mental health is its own little bubble because of exactly what Carrie just said. It's still an organ. Your brain is still an organ. It's still a piece of your body. It is still physical health. We are just so scared of this topic because there's a delicacy there, your life, that we panic. That exact feeling of what if I don't know? But do you panic when you don't know when your kid has a rash? No, you call a professional. You don't shy away from treating it. You try over-the-counter stuff. When that doesn't work, you call a professional. Mental health is the same thing. Why does everybody get so quiet after I talk? Am I just that powerful? You are profound. You're awesome. (laughs) Well, I think think you're right, though. I think there there is this fear of, and we'll say it again, there's a fear of just that word, too, that we're talking about today, suicide. We have been trained, and I'll go back to the first time I met you, Kirsty, when we had that, that podcast was, you know, I was trained as a journalist. We never report on suicide. Mm-hmm. We don't say it because if you say it, someone else will do it. That's a myth. Right. It's true. And I, and that had, you know, in 20 years of being in the profession at that point, right, I had never even thought that because I'd always been told you don't report it. I'll you give you numbers to support it. that. Statistics say, if you think someone in your life is struggling with suicide, so you are worried that someone in your world, your bubble, has had those thoughts, statistically, minimally, they have thought about it four to seven times already. So you having this conversation is not news. It's you recognizing and seeing them struggling. You don't have to have the answers. You just have to call out, hey, you're not okay. And I'm going to hop in the passenger seat. I'm going to let you drive. And we're going to go get those resources together. That's it. That's all we're saying. But it's kind of like, I joke that it's like the S word, right? And I do a lot of comparison. I'm going to preface this with this is an apple and orange conversation. But it's a lot like sex, which is also an S word. We talk about it with our kids because we have to. I dread the day that I have to have the sex talk with my daughter. Don't get me wrong. That's awkward. I can give me give me mental health all day long. But to talk about <laughs> sex, oh my God. I, I'm going to say that's that's weird, Kirsty. But I suppose it's a matter of your training. You're ready for one and the other is a lot scarier. So. Yeah, I, I'm going I'm to tell you, I, I struggled with both. <laughs> but the reality is as a society, we, are, we shy away from that conversation too. We've Absolutely. trained over time to teach prevention because we know people, kids, but people are going to explore. It's natural. So let's educate them. People are going to suffer. It's natural. Our kids are going to go through stuff that we can't prevent. Mm -hmm. 
So let's educate them on prevention. Let's educate them on resources. Again, it's an apples and orange conversation, but they're so similar. They should both be dinner table conversations. They really should be. Your family has a choice in how you handle that, obviously, but both of those topics should be talked about way more than they are. So in my mind, they're both S words, right? Like over time, we've been taught these are scary and those blinders are there because I don't know how to navigate that. But whether we teach it or not, it's gonna happen. Right. All right, so we, we've been talking a little bit about, I think, looking internally for signs that you need outside help. What are we looking for? And I think this gets into the, the warning sign conversation. What are we looking for in others, in our family, in our youth um, specifically, but also is just in general, what are we looking for in others, especially now in the COVID times when we kind of the signals are going to be different because of our, the nature of our interactions, we say as we're having a Zoom call. Um, what, what, are, what are those things we're looking for right now uh, to, to help when we can start to, when we need to jump in right away and have that conversation? Either I'll one of you. I just anybody, talked a lot, so any, I was letting Carrie Anybody go. but Nick, really. <laughs> anybody but Link. Um, you know, again, that goes back to what a person is talking about. You know, as they're talking, are they expressing that they're incredibly overwhelmed, that the situation seems hopeless? Um, talking about being a burden, you know, to other people is another, you know, big warning sign there. Um, also, just looking for changes in their behavior. You know, a person giving items away can be an, an, a warning sign. Um, a person talking about suicide and talking about how they're going to do it, you know, saying, you know, we've got, uh, you know, guns in the house. And what if I just, you know, used a gun? It would be quick. You know, so talking about those types of things are some of the warning signs that we want to, you know, really tune into. And what's interesting is, um, you know, through my some of my work that I do outside of being a therapist, I am in contact a lot with uh, young young adults, you know, anywhere from eight to 18 uh, through sports I coach. And we've had situations come up where kids have shared warning signs and the response that they got from the parent uh, in a few of these situations was that it was just a cry for attention. And it's very sad because, you know, whether or not it's a cry for intention, obviously this person needs help. And if we minimize, if we ignore these warning signs, um, you know, what what could happen from there so those are some of the things that i'm thinking of and that parents just you know it's better to go and have a conversation with a mental health professional that can assess that situation objectively rather than saying you're fine you just need attention stop that because that's definitely not the response that we want to give our kids i even argue a step further mm -hmm. that it absolutely is attention seeking so let's look at it that way and let's see oh, okay. what attention they are seeking because they know that word means something. They know that these signs are potentially good. We've, we've at least done a good enough job, I think, in the teens that we have now that when they say things like, oh, I just wanna die, you're gonna have a swarm of adults around you. So I almost argue the shift in perspective of, you're absolutely right. It's totally attention seeking. So what are they lacking? 
-hmm. why are they seeking that attention and and what can we do to help support that Mm -hmm. because it does come up a lot especially in youth in my experience as well like oh they're just attention seeking they do this all the time instead of brushing it off embrace Mm -hmm. it yeah Mm -hmm. it's an invitation they're seeking your attention give it to them Mm -hmm. consistently give it to them in a way that is productive and that's where you lean on the professional right Mm-hmm. consistent approaches to these topics because there are those individuals that it absolutely is simply that and it ends there but then that's where consistency comes in that's where professional treatment comes in I think to to build on what Carrie said particularly in youth um, isolation mm-hmm. a lot of kids right now rely heavily on social media zoom calls google meets to see each other when they stop doing that I think it's time to check in um, when they're struggling with their schoolwork, they're, again, they're that resentful. And I think it's really tricky to know a pubescent teen from a depressed and anxious teen, because if we were to list the symptoms next to each other, they're almost mirroring. So I hate to sound like a broken record, but talking saves lives. Mm-hmm. And having that conversation and being that vulnerable adult in their life, notice I didn't say parent, adult in their life, And that's not a dig at parents, but a lot of times kids don't want to talk to their parents. They want to talk to an adult, but sometimes it's what I hear a lot is mom and dad don't get it. So it takes a lot again, as a parent to swallow that pride and lean on aunt, uncle, friend to say, Hey, I know so-and-so is not doing well. I don't think they're going to talk to me. Do you think that's when we lean on our people too, as adults, do you think you could check in on them for me and then include me in that conversation? Because maybe you've decided you're not the best fit for that combo as their parent. I think it's a little bit of introspective too of can I handle this conversation and are they going to be honest with me? I think that goes that circles right back around to to near the beginning of this conversation of of preparing yourself for what the answers could be mm-hmm. and how you how you can and want want to res- respond to those. I, I I love that you've used throughout this that those warning signs are are invitations. I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's a big mm-hmm. deal and a great a great perspective on it as that's an invitation, not only for for you to jump in and help, but for you to help help them. I think you said earlier, you know, I'll get in the passenger seat and let you drive and we'll find find the resources. That was, mm-hmm. those really, those comments really, really stuck with me. Um, we've talked a lot about, about, you know, signs to look for. We've talked about risk factors and how to, you know how to ask questions, how to listen for answers, and 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 what to how to absorb those those answers. Are there things that we should avoid? Are there are there are there ways you know during that conversation? Are there are there are there reactions and 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 responses that we should avoid <laughs> doing? Because I think I think you know and I'm going to speak from a parent perspective again. The biggest fear is making it worse, right? It's mm-hmm. like, what if I screw up and make it even worse? You go, Kirsty. I'll fill in. I, Jason, I like how nice they are to each other, <laughs> waiting for the other one to take a lead. She <laughs> was nodding more vigorously, so. <laughs> I think it's not a matter of avoiding as it is being aware of yourself and not reacting in the moment because my daughter is eight months old. I've said that, but I cannot imagine what it feels like to hear the tiny human you've created or you've adopted or is a big part of your life. Say the words, I don't want to be here to some extent that is going, that is gut wrenching. That is heart wrenching. That is very hard to hear. 
And as an adult in their world, parent or not, we have this like instinct. So what I kind of joke, that's like the fast food mentality of like, oh, I know how to fix you. I'm going to jump into action. I'm going to wrap my arms around you and I'm going to protect you. So I don't want to go the negative route of what to avoid. I want you to not react. And I want you to listen, take a moment to truly hear what that's saying. Don't belittle it. Don't counteract what they're saying. Listen to them. Even if you don't agree, even if they see a scenario totally 180 from how you experienced it, listen, because that is their reality. And then I want you to react by finding that professional help, supporting whatever the verbiage is, owning. This is really hard to hear. It's okay to say those things. It's okay to own. Gosh, that really hurts to hear. Gosh, I'm so sorry you're feeling that way. Wow, you're really sad right now. This is really scary of a conversation. It's okay to own that. Because again, you're modeling. I'm being vulnerable with you. I can handle your stuff and I, I wanna be here with you. But I also, I'm not equipped for this. Going back to that kind of physical health mentality, I don't know how to treat this rash. So let's find help together. I wanna be here with you. But I think it's a matter of stopping your initial reaction to what they're saying because you want to help and you want to almost debunk what they're saying. No, 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 you don't mean that. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. No, 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 right. you're not going there because it's that panic of like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. and just listening to them and trusting. And then based off what they say, there's safety measures that maybe need to be put in place with removing means or Good. giving them immediate help, you know, those types of things. If they're saying they've had the thoughts, taking it a step further with, well, have you thought about how you would do that in our home? It might mean removing knives from the kitchen for a while. It might mean locking up medicine or making sure that the gun safe lock has been changed. The, the ammunition has been moved away from the actual gun. There's a lot of things that can be put in place. But again, as a parent or an adult, I don't mean to only ever say parent, as an adult in their life, behind the scenes after that conversation, you absolutely can call the crisis line and say, holy crap, I just had this conversation with my kid and I don't know what to do guess what? You're calling a professional and they're going to help you. That crisis line is not just for the person who's depressed. It's for no. everyone. Right. They may not keep you on the phone as long because they are a crisis line. They may say, it sounds like you've got them stabilized. Here's a resource to call in the morning. I want to preface that. But they are professionals there to help you. Particularly if you're having that conversation, you can also call the crisis line and say, I need to have this conversation with my kid. I'm not sure I can, and then walk into that room and say, hey, I've noticed you're okay. I couldn't have this conversation, but I've got a resource here for you. Would you be willing to talk to them? That can go south or that can go great. I mean, you know, you're going to know the situation best, but I think like we talked about at the very beginning, jumping into this conversation is absolutely key. And, and owning your vulnerability, I think, is the very next step, right? One foot in the water is like, okay, I'm going there. Like, I'm having this hard conversation but allowing yourself to be human enough to recognize you are also a human and you don't have all of the answers is okay. That's what we are here for. And sometimes we don't know the answers, but we find out. Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're talking about ownership of, taking ownership of the ultimate vulnerability for a parent, right? Is that mm -hmm. I can't fix it immediately Absolutely. and protect you. I mean, that's, that's, that's the ultimate vulnerability for a parent. And I think recognizing that Another thing that I think is hard is your child is the expert on themselves. And as a parent, we very much feel like we're the expert on them. 
because we created them and we've raised them and they're, we feed them and we change their diapers and we do all these things, but they are the expert on themselves. So when, when we're asking if they're okay and they're saying no, guess who we listen to? The expert. Guess who I'm going to listen to as the professional? The expert. I'm going to hear what the parents have to say, but ultimately the kid is who's going to tell me the story. And again, a situation could be through mom and dad's eyes one way and through kids eyes 180, but guess whose reality is suffering right now? That's whose reality I have to sit in. That's what's really hard to do as a parent because we want to, again, we want to fix it or we want to argue our point of view or we want to ignore it altogether because it's way too freaking scary. I'm sorry, go ahead, Gary. Well, something that I want to add to that is, you know, what Christy's talking about is that initial response to the crisis, you know, and that we want to listen, validate, connect, you know, the child to care, take those safety precautions as needed. But oftentimes, once a person is getting effective treatment, they are going to involve the family in that process and look at the family system. And, you know, that kind of goes off the, the comment that Kirsty said earlier is my parents just don't get it. And so family counseling at once that that uh, young adult is stabilized would involve, you know, communicating and listening and and just being able to get comfortable with a healthy process of doing so. Whereas a family, we're able to share our needs and our expectations in a assertive way, if you will. And so, you know, the parents will get involved. If it's, in my opinion, uh, good professional treatment is going to involve the family at some point once the youth is stabilized. And so parents will have to, again, be willing to step back and consider other things that perhaps they need to do differently as well. I think in giving themselves grace too, I agree completely Mm -hmm. with Carrie that none of us came with a manual. We just came out of our moms. There's no manual with your baby when you have one. True. So we're all doing the best that we can in the world that we know. And again, I hate to go back to that freaking analogy of when you are to a point where over the counter doesn't work, you seek professional help, but that's where you're at. That's what you're taught when your baby is sick, when you first become a parent and you don't know what to do. You try X, Y, and Z. You call your parents, right? You try, you call your friends. You try everything your circle might have advice for. And then eventually you as a unit make a decision. This is no different because everybody is different. And we can talk about, I also want to preface, we can talk about warning signs and risk factors and they're incredibly important. But the few that we talked about aren't the summization of everything. If your gut is saying something is wrong, please just talk to your people. Like if, if, and if someone takes nothing away from our babbling, that's what I hope they take away from today is that talking really truly does save lives. This is a scary topic, but opening that door, it opens it up to a whole different world where someone feels heard and seen. And I have almost a thousand kids in my program that I think would say the same thing, that mm-hmm. we've been able to just treat them like a person. They've been able to talk and they're still here today because of it. Well, in my head, I was trying to think of a great way to wrap up this conversation, but I'm just going to let leave it there, Kirsty. Um, that was that was that was a great summation, and 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 I, and I thank you, thank you for it. Um, and I thank both you and and Carrie for for coming on today. Another good good conversation about a topic we have to keep talking about. Before we sign off, one more time, 
what are some of those access phone numbers, text line, that if people are in need in crisis or someone they know is in crisis that they can use, they can contact? So the local crisis line is 1-888-279-8188. That is going to get 24-7-365. If if someone calls the national hotline and they have an 816 or 660 area code, they're going to get rerouted to that. That national hotline, just in case someone doesn't have that area code, is 1-800-273-8255. The texting crisis line is 741-741. Just have to text a word to them. Hello, hope, help, whatever. Um, The Show Me Hope, which is that crisis line specific for COVID, is 816-988-2739. And Rediscover's intake line is 816 nine six six zero nine zero zero i also want to give a shameless plug that it is national suicide prevention month um, and rediscover this week in general has done kind of a spirit week um, but we're promoting it all month every monday we are titling motivational monday asking people to share positive uplifting quotes on social media to kind of flood out the negativity to start the week um, there's a bingo card that they've posted on their social media that if you participate in you get entered in to win a couple different prizes um, so head to their social medias to check that out. Um, I have some really cool prizes and the bingo card is different things like seeking out a rediscover location so that you're familiar with resources in your area, going for a walk with a friend, testing out a new song, kind of just promoting a lot of what we've talked about today. I really believe that suicide prevention doesn't always have to be sad statistics and it really can be fun. Um, And that's a lot of what we try to promote in this month is there's a lot that can be done to prevent suicide. It's not just wah wah, this is a scary conversation. Let's have some fun with it and let's realize that our people matter. Awesome. And if they want to find those, that social media, what is the Rediscover social media account? Uh, I just made it hard. Uh, You might might search Rediscover on Facebook. Right. Yeah, you can search Rediscover on Facebook and Instagram, and I think Twitter. I don't have a Twitter, but I think Twitter. And we will put those those uh, those crisis lines and the text line in the show notes for this as well, if people want to find find those. Kirsty, Carrie, thanks again for for coming on and talking with us, educating us. Um, we did have a little bit of fun while we while we dove in, so I appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for coming back on, and that will wrap us up for this week. We'll talk to everybody next time. Thank you.